Welcome to The Developmental, a podcast about the messy, beautiful ways grown-ups grow up. Here, we explore turning the science into the day-to-day practice of adult development in teams, homes, organizations, and life. Hello, friends, and welcome to a new episode and a new exploration of vertical development from yet another lens. As you know already, the main intention of this podcast is to make vertical development accessible and practical and to show us how it can be relevant to many, many aspects of our lives. I have dubbed the podcast How Grown Ups Grow Up. So it's quite fitting that this episode is literally about growing up and more specifically about how the way we raise our kids actually ends up raising us. My dialogue partner today is a dear friend and one of the leaders who most inspires me through the way they walk the talk every day. And you'll learn more about what I mean by that as you listen to our conversation. Genevieve Hawkins is General Manager Transformation and Supply Chain at Coles Liquor Group and author of the book Mentally at Work. This is a wonderful book that lays out a practical and clear guide for cultivating healthy workplaces. So if you have any interest in mental health in the workplace, I highly recommend this read. From the start of her career as an occupational therapist, Genevieve has had a passion for understanding and influencing the psychology of how people not just cope, but thrive under pressure. This passion led her to further study and exploration of how leaders, teams and cultures perform and has seen Genevieve move from the health system to insurance to risk management consulting and finally to the corporate world. Genevieve is now a senior executive with extensive experience in leading major change programs in large organizations and she is cognizant of seeing things from a different perspective given her mix of experiences and qualifications which includes parenting two now-adult children, of which one is transgender. Jen's parenting journey will make the core of our conversation, um, and I believe there is so much to learn from her lived experience for all of us raising children, regardless of the challenges we're facing in our parenting. It is this different perspective that led Jen to write Mentally at Work and help current and future leaders lead in a way that makes a difference to individuals, teams and organizational performance. It also resulted in her becoming the sponsor of Pride at Coles. Genevieve believes in the value of simplicity, of pragmatism, of finding the right way to talk about the elephants in the room, embracing clunky conversations and the importance of sticking to your true north in order to get the right long-term outcome for a business and its people and yourself. I can't wait to share this conversation with you and I can't wait to hear what you learn from it. I have learned a lot and it's opened up new perspectives that I hadn't thought before I had this dialogue with Genevieve. So without further ado, here we are in conversation about parenting and how our kids help raise us while we are raising them. I'm very excited. I'm really, really excited and a bit emotional to be very, very honest with you uh, about this conversation um, because it touches on something very personal um, around life and motherhood and growth. So Genevieve, welcome. Um, I'm so happy to have you uh, on and to make one of our conversations uh, public, share it with other people (laughs) because I always... Well, we have these amazing conversations that I always learn from and grow from, um, and it, it feels like a gift that we get to to share some of it well, with others, and hopefully they find something useful in it too. Hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> Where should I start? I thought I would start with just uh, briefly mentioning how we met uh, and how we came to have these uh, conversations and and learn from each other. I feel like I'm learning more from you than you are from me, but... Um, Oh, <laughs> that's debatable, Alice. We, we, uh, could... <laughs> we could do. We're not debating. We're not getting into that debate. 
um, but we we learned we met uh, four and a half years ago. It is now, I believe, uh, during a leadership program uh, where you were one of the senior executives participating in that program, and I was one of the team of facilitators holding space for that group. And I remember we got talking about lifelong growth and vertical development and um, how the lived experience of that is way messier than the theory. Um, and we really, really bonded over the messiness and what we can learn Absolutely. and how we can grow from the messiness. Uh, and, and that's been an ongoing conversation, I feel. Um, definitely, most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we, we, we ended up, uh, planning and now having this conversation because, um, we came to the, um, you know, chatting about parenthood and vertical development at some point. And, um, one of my big, big, um, intentions with the podcast and the work that I'm doing is to really explore how this idea of vertical development can be translated into day-to-day -day life, because I think we, we live through this stuff, um, but we don't really necessarily consciously talk about it. And it's starting to become a conversation in the leadership space, yet it has so many other implications in other areas of life. Mm -hmm. And thinking of parenthood and vertical development, I don't think there would have been any better person to explore this with than yourself. No so, pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, but uh, this is a conversation, and I'm conscious you're wearing many hats. You're a leader. You're a mother, you're an author, you're an advocate for mental health at work. Um, you're a bookworm. <laughs> you're many, many other things. Um, but this is a conversation about how our kids raise us while we are raising them. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel about even exploring that topic? What, yeah, what was uh, <laughs> going through your mind when we started to consider it? I think I think the first thing actually really, I mean, you're saying to Elsie, you, know, you couldn't have thought of anyone better to talk about it. And then you go parenting and I'm like, oh, I don't know that I've got it all sorted out. <laughs> and and I think that's actually the reality. I think some of those conversations that we've had is this whole, um, you know, I, I can I can still remember back. I mean, my kids, I have a daughter who's in her early 20s and a son who's about to turn 20. And, um, and I think about, I can still think about when I was pregnant with with my daughter, and you know, you get the books, you get the books to read, and and both about pregnancy and then raising kids, and everyone's got advice about what to do, and then you kind of um, you experience it, and you realise that no book can actually prepare you for what you're actually faced with, and you never know what you're going to be faced with, and each person's experiences are different, and I, and I think there's, I feel in some ways, enormous amount of responsibility in having the conversation with you in, in just recognising that my experience is different to your experience is different mm. to the next person's experience as a parent. So it's not a, um, this is not a, I think I've learned this and therefore you should do this, yep. I think it works. It's just really, you know, I think that piece of exploring how do we explore the stories of what have, has happened to us as parents and what does that mean for us in terms of how we've grown because of it? Yeah. And I, I think for me, the the reason I said I think you're, you're the best person that I can think of to explore this with is that I believe you, you're very courageous in, in looking at how you're growing through this journey. And I, I do think that's a conversation we don't perhaps have enough. Mm -hmm. um, because as you say, we read all the books and I did the same when I was uh, uh, pregnant with my little uh, one who's uh, turning eight this year. So I'm a, a good few steps behind you on the journey <laughs> <laughs> and learning so much and will continue to. Um, and I've always kind of been a bit obsessed about the idea. Is it me raising her or is it she is she raising me to an extent? And how am I actually doing the work on myself that I'm, you know, hoping to do in, in raising her uh, in the best mm. possible way. So mm. I think there is this back and forth that is happening. And quite often we're trying to find the best way to be the best parent that we can possibly be. Um, but the journey is messy and exploring it really that. Is, isn't is it? Really and I think it, valuable. It, it is. And I, and I think that, um, and you know, I do believe that thing is saying kids raise us as much as we raise them. So I think it is a symbolic relationship between between us and but I also think it's this interesting thing for people to grapple with how we you know in the past or actually even now people often talk about how do you get work-life balance 
And I'll often say to people, can we not talk about work-life balance? Can we talk about creating a whole life? And what does that whole life look like? And and I think, you know, maybe COVID has helped to speed up some people's level of thinking about the messiness of how it all interconnects. But mm-hmm. ultimately I think life is about challenging ourselves of saying how do we be the best human being that we can possibly be? And in being the best possible human being that we can be with what we've been given, it enables us to contribute as best we can to helping others around us. And and I think that um, for those that experience parenting in whatever shape or form it may be, it it undoubtedly it shapes you. And and I think the the extent to how much it shapes you and raises you depends on your ability to process it. Um, which is exactly the same as at work, right, that you can have experiences at work and you see people who have a bad experience and they put it in a box and they go, well, that happened there and it was that person's fault and this happened and and leave it alone and I'm still fine and on I go. And they never develop as strong as they could or they'd never meet their full potential because they're not open enough and not curious enough about what's going on. Um mm. So, yeah, I think that yeah, so we could ramble on for ages and all these, can't we? But, yeah, that you go back to kids raise. Kids raise us. They really do. If we are um, open and curious and um, able to reflect and process, they really seriously raise us in a significant way. Yeah. I'd love to explore a bit more deeply what, what that means for you. Like what's, you know, what is the lived experience of when we say kids raise us? what is being raised or, or, you know, <laughs> what does that look like, feel like? Um, and I'm, sh- I know it's a unique journey for each person. But yeah, I mean, it, it, so if I go, I mean, I talk about perhaps, first of all, a concept of this, the simple things that hopefully lots of people seem to experience. And I'll talk a little bit about more my personal experience of how I see that, that my kids have raised me. And, um, and so I think, you know, we'll often talk about the value of how how amazing kids are in being in the present moment, how focused they are in, in what is the here and now and the joy of the here and now and the awe that comes from being in the here and now. And, you know, there's so much research that is supporting this importance of us as leaders being able to be present, being able to be in the moment and the ability to access joy and to access awe on a daily basis makes us better as human beings, makes us better as leaders. And so I think even at that that sort of basic level, regardless of other experiences that people have, that being able to learn from kids can do this, their muscle yeah. there, how do we access that muscle memory more um, and, and take that into the broader life. So I think there's kind of that sort of stuff that can experience. And then I think it's the, you know, what, what happens with your kids what sort of um you know well I can say simple things about what do they sleep well or not or whatever else it might be in that sort of level but also like you know you're talking in um one of your prior podcasts about kids who are neurodivergent so you know so what kids who are really gifted um you can also talk about kids that have significant illnesses etc and say what does that shape you so for me um, there's sort of like there was this pivotal moment for me when um my youngest was 14 when we realised that he was transgender. So he was born female but actually is meant to be male. And I, I kind of describe that of, of saying I often say I don't get this, I don't get the science. So I don't you know, I don't understand the science, but I accept the science that I look at him and go, you were fundamentally meant to be male. Um, you're absolutely meant to be male. But at the time, you know, I can still picture myself standing in the kitchen and um, him standing there having a conversation with me while I was cooking dinner and saying, Mum, I think I'm transgender. And the, the sinking feeling in, in my stomach about what that actually meant, and, of course, it's the, well, for me, there was kind of these two emotions that were bubbling up at the same time because um, there was just this, I want to love my son, so there's a kind of a, I know more than anything else it's important to love my kids and no matter what we face and whatever else goes on, I want them to feel loved. Um, but the the emotion that was also grappling with that at that time was fear because mm-hmm. this was an this was an experience that I had no I had no lived experience at this whatsoever. 
and um and and if I, i'm going to flip a little bit from the parenting bit to the leadership bit and back again because i would have said prior to that moment in time if someone had said to me as a leader do you value inclusion or are you an inclusive leader? I would say, of course I am. Absolutely I am. I think it's really important to embrace everyone. I think that's really easy to say that when you're in a space of privilege and you don't actually realise the reality of the lived experiences of people who are in minority areas. And that that's kind of one of my biggest learnings as a leader is that this experience as a parent opened me up to another whole dimension of how our system as a society operates that I was blind to. Um, and I can come back to some of those, you know, how we see how we see the systems in it. But I think that um, said at that moment in time, there was just this fear because, I mean, I don't, I, like, you kind of want to sit there and go, oh, really? Do you really, do you really think you are? Because yeah. you're, kind of, you're just thinking in that sense of love for your children, you want your kids to have the easiest way through life. You don't want them to have a tough road and you sit there going, oh, this is this is a tough road. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, it, it was, yeah, it was this huge, huge um, kind of, you know, reaction for me saying I don't know how to deal with this. And, and in fact, all of us were like that because we're then sitting there for, um, you know, my daughter and my husband as well. We were going, oh, what do we, how do we navigate this? Not too sure. Yeah. And I think in you go back to um, that whole thing of creating that whole life and how do you flip between what you learn as a leader and what you learn as a parent and how do you integrate between the two? And and I I probably only, it's only probably more recently that I've reflected on how I approached what was going on in a parenting space using skills that I had learnt as a leader um, and but that I'd learnt those this is kind of this this symbiotic thing but I'd learnt those things as a leader because of how my childhood was so there's this whole thing of me recognizing what I learnt and um, so I grew up what the eighth of nine kids so bad big family um, and there were things that I learnt as a child that then has translated into how I operate as a leader that then got translated into how I am as a parent so it's like kind of this yeah really, really interesting journey through it but there were these um I think partly I was born naturally curious anyway but actually I was sort of joke when you're the eighth of nine you're left to your own devices so much you have to kind of work out how the world works you have to figure it out mm. so and and I all had often used curiosity when I have felt fear so I have recognized that through my journey of when I've sat in a space of fear and can recognise the fear of whatever it is that I'm facing, um, that I kind of go, okay, let's take a deep breath and let's get curious because curiosity yeah. can help me move forward. Um, it, and then I kind of go to this recognition again in being the eighth, but being the eighth and I just being one of nine or in this particular family, how much, how important community is and that sense of feeling like you belong and this is home and this is this is where connection comes from is so important that I kind of go in each of those, you know, each steps along the way, I've become curious and then I'm going, how do I create community wherever and what's that community that I can create? Yeah. Um, and then this thing about having a voice and going, how do you um, speak up when it matters? And, of course, again, I joke when you're the eighth, if you don't have a voice, you, you never, <laughs> nothing ever goes your way. So you have to learn to speak up, but you learn like I learned if it was just all about you, you'd be, you know, shot down by everyone else. So you learned to speak up when it counted, when it mattered, when you needed to do things. And I recognise that in the context of parenting as well, of going, oh, I'm just faced with this such an uncomfortable thing and I go, I don't, I don't know, there's no playbook. So mm -hmm. it was kind of like coming all the way back to when, you know, baby was first born and you go, what do I do? You go, there's no playbook. Um, how do I how do I approach things? I've just got to stay into a curious space. Yeah. But also keep anchoring back to love. I do want to uh, uh, almost pause us just for a moment here because I think, and we haven't prepared this at all, but it's so <laughs> fascinating that you you just described this, this inner process really that, 
that you navigate or, or used to navigate the hard, completely discombobulating moments. Because um, one of the big findings in my own research on vertical development was that um, it always starts with what, what the researchers call a disorienting dilemma, something that completely throws you off kilter, just challenges everything that you've ever taken for granted, and you mm. just can't make sense of it with your current mindset. Uh, which which for you has been your son coming and saying, mm. look, this is the path I, I want for myself. Mm. But then what I found was that people react very differently to the, to the disorienting dilemma. And most people withdraw from the pain and the fear and they either try to numb them or try to ignore them or um, pass blame because it's just a, a way to discharge pain and discomfort as Brene Brown so wisely says yes. about blame but then the minority who actually profoundly transform from those discombobulating experiences were precisely the ones that instinctively maybe poured curiosity on top of the fear I've come to call that the contrasting emotion space because it's always a negative emotion plus a positive one and 90% of the time at least in my um, sample of leaders that I've looked at it was curiosity that positive mm. emotion so I was wondering you know for you what we know what the disorienting dilemma was but what what did curiosity do what did it allow you to do what mindsets did you find yourself maybe challenging or changing as a result of being able to withstand that discomfort um, to to move through it instead of move away from it I think, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, about what what were the mindsets that that I was focused on? Because I, I think it's that whole um, what you think you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's kind of just that, um, and you kind of go, I would like to think that I'm always in a growth mindset and I'm open to things, but actually realised that I'd got confident about what I thought. And I think that... Um, and particularly, so yeah, think about inclusion, but also thinking about this piece of you know how you how you navigate um, parenting. I'm not answering well. I think in terms of actually the description of the mindsets, because I, I, like I think of the um, the two things for me. One was around um, thinking I'm fine as a parent. So. Th- the kids, you know, the kids would go see me fine. I know outside of that, I'll process stuff. But actually, recognizing almost um, that this had to be a journey that we go on together, and but mm-hmm. finding the balance of um, what's what. How do I intentionally choose how much I share of my struggle with my child versus how much do I intentionally not share with them because it doesn't help them, and that needs to be done somewhere else. So I think kind of I probably processed a lot more out loud in a previous, you know, prior to this experience of going, you know, this is a problem, right, how do we fix it and let's just talk openly about it all. And and there's this, you know, mindset shift, I think, about intentionality in process mm. and going how much um, because he's hurting, because he's struggling, because he's trying to work out what's going on, I have to be there for him but also he needs to see that I'm human through this as well. So how do I? Yeah. So you felt almost like a responsibility to take care of your own inner process and not, or, or mindfully share some of it, but not all of it. But not all of it. Yeah. Because I don't think that helps with a a young teenager to, to do that. And, And I think, you know, that the mindset around, um, so again, like psych with inclusion, it's kind of that it was a humbling experience having that discombobulation of of what was going on there because there were things that I thought were certain about the world. I always accept, accepted that there was grey in lots of things, and I was sort of thought I was pretty comfortable with grey. But actually, what I realised was was in my approach, there were certain things that I had put in boxes that I thought, yeah, I've worked those bits out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll deal with this grey, but I've worked those bits out. And and part of that was around. Um, things like inclusion, like recognising um, not realising how binary the world is until you're faced with with situations that, that aren't. I don't know whether I really answered that question there yet, Alice, mm. on... Um, maybe maybe another to, way to, to maybe look at it would be 
if you were to almost have a conversation uh, with Genevieve from before finding this out, is there something that you tell her that you now know that she didn't know or that you now believe that she didn't believe? Oh, see, this feels like a deep therapy session now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, but, well, I think it's, there's the, um, it's what I probably say is that it's like the matrix, I think, uh -huh. that I'd be saying to me, there's systems within systems within systems. And you think you've like so you just have to acknowledge that you've only seen some of it so and because I think because I'd been used to seeing the world in systems anyway and seeing how everything kind of you know taking longer term views and multi multiple perspectives on where things were at I kind of thought oh, I think I already do that and so I think if I was sitting next to myself and I go mm, it's like the matrix right there's just more to it more yeah to it there's more you, you can't see yeah yeah, and that, that so I think what I think what I see now is that whilst I feel, and I absolutely has have grown. Well, I, I'd like to think I've grown as a parent. I most definitely have grown as a human being and as a leader because of this experience as a parent. Um, that whilst I have had my eyes open to more of how systems work. I think what I have learnt through that as well is this recognition of how much it's like, you know, the more you know, the more you realise you don't know. You don't know. Um, in how all the systems work. I do remember in that uh, program that we met, there was a fireside chat and you were in the middle, you're really literally just going through that initial phase of finding out and supporting your son on the beginning of his journey. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was a sharing session and you were one of the first people who spoke and you opened up to the group and you shared what you were going through um, and, and the mixed emotions and the love and the fear. And I very vividly remember that because I also remember how the group profoundly shifted after your share and people in turn started to open up and talk about real life struggles when up until that point it was a very intellectually stimulating but polite conversation between senior leaders mm -hmm. coming together in this program and people were guarded uh, and there was yeah. something that happened when you just really opened your heart to that group and I was wondering you know how even having the courage to do that how how do you feel it's impacted you know, other people, because if, even in workplace contexts, I notice how we assume everybody else has got it together because they don't seem to be talking about their struggles at all. Mm -hmm. And I felt like you broke that pattern. Uh, and my sense is that it was not the only time when, when you would have modeled no, that yeah, openness and not. vulnerability. And I was, yeah, just curious what, what, what was it like for you to do it? And then what was the impact that you've seen in the years that have gone with, you know, you being open about your humanness and and this intersection, as you were saying, you're not just a leader or a mother or you're not comp you're not separating these roles. You're actually mm -hmm. seeing yourself and embodying yourself as a whole human being. I think it's um, so you, you actually, you know, when you go back to the whole question of how have I shifted <laughs> and what would I say to my former self and go get better at storytelling, <laughs> because mm. I think that that um, you, Part of, and, and this is what I go, this is why I think I've got better at sharing a lot more. So absolutely that was in, I wanted to share that story and I have shared a number of different stories of these pivotal moments in time for me where um, I've just realised how profound, like something that I've gone, oh, my God, I can't believe I did this and now I know this differently. Um, I think my driver originally in sharing some of those stories was because I recognised that the number of people who had lived experience with people who were trans was so was much smaller that I wanted to openly share some things that I thought, well, you may never have a direct lived experience, but if I can share with you a story that resonates in some way, then actually that might help to open you up to thinking about things in in different ways. 
Um, but actually it's also been cathartic for me to mm-hmm. share those stories as well. And and um, I, I think it's that importance. It, it, and it's that balancing. I often find when when people say to me as Lisa going, oh, how much of myself do I really need to give? You know, like people don't like to talk about myself and I'm just here to do my job and how much do I really need to give of myself? And, um, and I think there's a journey that people need to go on in terms of being comfortable within themselves enough to share parts of be of who you are. But I always say to people, it's not about um it's not about going, I'm just gonna come into work and go, oh I'm not coping and everything's horrible and this is dreadful. Mm-hmm. Um but showing our humanness and showing how we think about this and showing about what it means, you know, moving forward, I think has a profound effect. And I can um like I, I, oh, if you if you indulge me in telling you a story, can I tell you a story? Absolutely. Because <laughs> there's this pivotal moment for me, and I retold this story in an email um, to all of the um, chiefs and like all of the executive essentially at the large organisation that I I work for, um, and that and I saw the profound effect of it in the responses that I got from it. But there was this experience that I had so. Um, the the hardest time for me as a parent is was when we were still struggling with whether or not we were accepting he, Loz as he and we were still kind of in a, can we just go non-binary? Can we say they? Maybe they is kind of easier because we're trying to respect let's not call him she because that's too hard, you know, that's not something that he's identifying with but we're still struggling with he and part of the um, advisory going is just just if you stick with they at least that's a kind of transition state to kind of be through um but he was applying for a job um at the organization well, say the organization I work with anyone looks up they'll know that I mm-hmm. work for Coles so you know that I, I will I will have shared your bio in the <laughs> yeah. intro anyway so. <laughs> so he was um he was applying for a job at Coles and we'd and and this was part of what actually got me really involved in the work at Coles as well because I, there was all these problems in the actual application process itself which is a whole other thing about how we need to change systems to make it easier for people but when you have um a teen like a young person so at 15 whose birth certificate has a particular name and a particular sex but he is living in a way that says this is my name and this is my gender that I identify with. It's really hard from an employment, an initial employment perspective. But he was going for a particular job and and um, he'd got into the big group interview, if you like, which um, he came into the big Coles um, centre with me to go and have the interview. Now I was going. To, I'm saying I'm hands up a bit, but slightly nervous about the whole. He looks he looks a bit different. He doesn't look like what his name, etc. Anyway, we were standing in the foyer. So I can't, that was all the background bit. The found, people knew that when I was writing the email. We were saying we're standing in the foyer, people absolutely everywhere, and I was trying to help him work out where he needed to go for the interview or the, you know, the assessment process. And one of the security guards came up to me and said, Genevieve, is this your son that's going for an interview today? And there's this split moment where you're, I'm processing this in my head where I go, I have this choice here in this moment because I could sit there and say, actually, it's my daughter here looking for this job, which would have made both my child uncomfortable and the security guard uncomfortable and, and deal with it. Or I could actually go, yes, this is my son. And in that split moment, I said, yes, this is my son. And, of course, the security guard was completely oblivious to this being significant in any way, shape or form, and he's just, no worries. He said, you've got to head down that way and look for the door there and that's what you're going, good luck, buddy, you know, good luck, off you go. He walks off and my son turns and looks at me and he just looked at me he's going, that was so cool, Mum. And, and I kind of looked at him and he was like, that's the first time you've ever called me your son. And in my head, I'm sitting there going, seriously, how difficult was that? <laughs> it wasn't actually difficult. It, it was the right thing. I should have done it ages ago. And watching that reaction from him was like my turning moment of going, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous for me to try and be in this 
non-binary space to try and go maybe it's a and it was like you know the panic is it a phase will it change well you know because of all my naivety of it and then going actually he's he he's my son and I need to own him as my son um so he went off and and in fact for him he talked like I heard later that he went into the interview and he walks into this big room with everyone and so the first person is sitting there and looking at the application name because it had to have the legal name and then looking up at him and then looking down at the application name again. And then he just stood there, apparently, put his hand out and said, hi, I'm Loz, and, yes, I'm transgender. And you're like, oh, my God, 15-year-old, you talk about learning from your kids. This kid's extraordinary. That's that what he could do. But that story I told in email, and I, I sent it to all the chiefs, and my subject line was, is this your son? So question, like kind of that question in the subject line that grabs people to go, what the hell is Genevieve sending here with this subject line? But gave a reflection to everyone saying, I've just, I had this experience and um, there is so much I realise I'm still learning on this journey to try and understand how our world operates in not including everyone for who they are and how important it is because of the mental health outcome, mental ill health outcomes that people have when they're not accepted, that I wanted to, you know, share you this story and say I'd love you to come and hear some more because we're doing a panel conversation and we're just exploring some of these things and we'd love to see some of you come along. And the number of responses that I get from, got from people at that chief level from that email was just, just brilliant and it was you know, from the I'm there, I'm absolutely coming to the people who go, I can't come, but can you please tell me how I can help? Or I'd love to have a coffee with you because that's just moved me so much and I just, mm -hmm. you know, I need to understand more. So I think, sorry for, in, you know, or thank you for indulging me in a long story, but um, you, you go you back sharing to it. those stories, um, those and that's a human story. And I, I think that's the thing of saying as a parent, I think anyone who as a parent, you hear that, you hear that, story or the start of that story and people can almost imagine oh I could feel that I could be mm -hmm. in that moment and what would you what would you do um and being able to share both the discomfort that I felt but that importance to have a voice to go that's the right thing to do to um, do is really important to share there's another layer to that that story and I literally got the goosebumps just just listening to it Jen um which to me and, and correct me if I'm wrong or reading into it or something that's maybe not there for you but it sounds like it's this process of almost redefining in a sense your own identity in relation to your daughter and now your son mm. um and and for me when you shared that story I felt like that's one of those pivotal moments of almost asking behind the question what should I answer to the God who am I or mm. who am I becoming Mm. And the reason I'm bringing it up is that I think if we put this developmental lens on on this so beautiful, profound moment, um, shifting identities is probably one of the biggest, biggest hurdles that people experience as they grow and transform. And when we say growing up or raising uh, kids, raising us, I think it has to do with dissolving identities and allowing ourselves to grow into a new identity. You're still a mom. Yeah. To become the mom of a son, it, it's a process. Um, mm. And mm. I wonder if a lot of the resistance that we're seeing to change, to growth, to transformation has to do with the, with the fear we feel for uh, feeling like our old, old identities are no longer there. They're dissolving in some way. And, and the letting go of that old identity to allow yourself to become to outgrow it because you're not completely someone new, but you've outgrown it. So mm. I was wondering, yeah, if, if that resonates it, at all. It or... so does. It so does. Because mm. I think that um, both as a, as a parent um, and as a leader, I think, you know, because I was still in a, I was in a senior role when this was all happening, that whilst you talk about we continue to learn and grow, you still kind of, go, well, I want to kind of show like I've got it all together, right? Like <laughs> I've got my battle I got my battle scars back then and now I've got it all sorted and I'm okay. And it's the same from a parenting point of view. And I think whilst people might talk a little bit about um, 
some of their angst or some of their worries about parenting. I think people always want to try and put on a reasonably, you know, a brave front, if you like, around. Yeah, this is who I am as a parent. And I'm fine and I've got it sorted and this is how we operate. Um, And the same as a leader. I think you kind of, if if you get into a rhythm for a period of time where you're not facing those crucible moments, I think it's easy to, to to not grow you don't grow as much because you sit there and you go I've got the rhythm I've got this I'm used to this by my brain sees this pattern and I know how to operate with it and so you start to become more comfortable about who you are and how you operate in the world and I absolutely agree I think that um certainly for me the whole discomfort of that just shifted there was something and it was an uncomfortable space like it wasn't a here's one moment and everything's fine. It was over that extended period of time. And and to your point about the fireside chat that we're having, I was still in the middle of going, I don't know quite what this means and how I deal with it and I'm afraid of things, but I feel like I need to articulate that because I think that's part of what I need in order to get through it and come out wherever I come out and I don't know where I'm going to come out, but, but I do feel... I feel different now. Um, I, I feel like I do have a different identity now than, um, and, and I actually think a far more combined identity of both um, parent and leader. And I think that's actually partly because I then became, because of all this, I became the sponsor for Pride at Coles. And um, yeah, I'd love you to, to talk a little bit more about that, if you will. Because that, that, how that, that came about for you. Well, that, that was actually a, it's kind of that circumstance moment of this was back when, um, all of this was happening back when the marriage equality vote was going on. It was a fairly, most people know, it was a fairly horrible time and, and tense time for people in um, the ridiculousness of needing to vote and, and all, of, all of the things that were going on with it. And it was at a point where Coles were launching their, um, the pillars for what we're doing from a diversity perspective in winning together and and so my boss at the time, because I chose to share my story, um, spoke to me about whether I'd consider being a sponsor for um, for Pride. And it has been the most um, profound, it's just been an amazing experience for me. So you kind of talk about transition that then goes to the next thing, to the next thing of, of being exposed to so much more discomfort so so there's a, a bit of kind of um, it's it, what I my experience, and this is a, I'm going to say this is a global experience, this is not a unique to organisations perspective, um, perspective, but the, um, you know, the, the kind of yes, yes, we're inclusive, but we don't actually really understand everyone's stories. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so it's easy to say we're inclusive, but actually it's when you, under, when you listen to people's stories and change because of listening to those stories, that's what's actually really important. That's what gets everyone shifting. Um, and that's been an extraordinary journey, I think, that the organisation has been on, um, that I've been privileged to be a part of because of going, let's come out and, and share stories. And it wasn't just about me sharing my stories, but it was actually about me listening to other people's stories and going, your stories need to be told. So let's find ways of making sure that you can share your stories because that's the way we shift our thinking. Um, that's the way we all learn and grow more is if we have people who are prepared to share their stories. Do you feel that um, um, you choosing to see, really see your son for who he is and embrace him for who he is has enabled you to see maybe other people you were not seeing before? in the same way yes I do you know I um I loved the the you know go back to the podcast you were doing on on gifted um gifted children and or gifted people and neurodivergence and I loved the terms that you were talking about in there about not being seen or being misseen and the misseen thing for me really really resonated with me um because of how what assumptions people make when they see you know what we there's such a quick judgment because of what people look like or there's such a quick judgment because of the way in which people speak um, that it's it has helped me meeting all of these extraordinary human beings who are willing to share their stories. And because I understand, like it's that part of going, because I've understood my, like the pain or the discomfort that I've gone through, um, 
that whilst it's a different perspective, yes, that my pain or my fear has helped me recognise fear in others mm-hmm. and also recognise then what sorts of how I, what sort of environment can I create for others or what sorts of questions can I give people that help them to think differently because of that. Yeah. And um, almost, um, you know, almost pulling back and, and kind of thinking there are some universal lessons in, in, in this story, in your story of growth that, that apply potentially regardless of, you know, what is it that our kids face us with? Um, be it neurodivergence. Um, in my case, it's giftedness. In um, in other cases, it's just a different. Um, I was having a conversation with someone whose son is choosing a completely different life path than they would have envisioned or hoped for them, and the parent is struggling terribly with with this because there's again that identity that we've got um, maybe tied up in a vision of who our kids mm. are. Mm. So I'm almost wondering if even this choice to see them for who they are or who they are becoming or or acknowledging how they're changing and a 15-year-old is no longer the three-year-old that Mm. you thought you had figured out and allowing yourself to shift and change and grow in turn in in step with them, that perhaps is the work of development as a parent. And yeah, that, that's so true, isn't it? Because you, you see the that whole thing of saying parents who set expectations on their children that are assuming their children will do X, Y, and Z, um, or that then also never want to let go of them being children um, and wanting to control as compared to saying we need to keep shifting as parents, we need to keep growing and our identity as a parent and how we interact with our children needs to shift over time and, and um and I've certainly, I mean, I've seen that it, it, regardless of what's actually happened specifically um, for my son and, and how that's impacted on everyone within the family. But actually going, when the kids were little, the interaction was one particular way. And, and you know, there's then the school age or, you know, there's a primary school and then secondary school and now there's university and now post-university, that the way in which we interact, if we need, if we can to get our best growth, um, we need to let go of that identity that says we've got control and we can say, well, I'm your parent and therefore we need to do this sort of thing. And, and that actually helps them grow more as well. So I think the, you know, kids raise us, we raise them. But part of that, we, we raised more or we learn more or we develop more if we're able to recognise that sense of how do I um, take the helicopter view of, of me and my identity and let it let it shift over time. Yeah, except that you're not just one way or, yeah, something's got to die once in a while for something else to be able yes. to emerge. Yes, yeah. And you have those moments, I, mean, I, I think I can, um, I mean, I, still, I can still remember the moment that we took down photos from the walls of of when the kids were little. And, um, and I love photos and I love photos that represent all the things that we do and how we do them and um but it was distressing for my son to go that that's I don't want there to be photos up there that friends could come over and see and ask questions about because I look different or I'm wearing pink rather than blue or whatever it might be um and I, I can still see the day that I quietly had to, I took them all down and they were in a box and I sat in my bedroom with this box of frames and I cried my eyes out. I absolutely cried my eyes out. And, um, and in fact, those box of pictures still sit in the bottom of my wardrobe. Like it wasn't a, I'm going to throw them out. It's like, I can't throw them out. This is part of who, this is part of my identity. This is part of what's happened for me. Um, but that's I, I and again it's that whole thing of saying I need to do this I need to do this for my son this is an important thing for my son so I will do it for my son but by golly that hurts and and I have to then I have to fully fully accept that I am letting go of or trying to find a way of of um yeah letting go of what that life was in in mm-hmm. that past and saying this is now a new this is the new chapter. And, and I think as times, you know, once you process through things, I think it's easy to be able to go 
you know, it's like our life's like a book and, the, you know, the chapters, you keep growing through the chapters and, and you're not going to go back to the old chapter because but that, that chapter was a foundation that helped shape who you are now. Yeah. How do you feel this this choice that you made to embrace the, the growth pains, as I often <laughs> call them? I feel like, you know, as kids have growth pains in their body when they're young, we've got growth pains in our hearts and minds as, as adults. And if we allow ourselves to lean into them, there is growth emerging from them. Yeah. How, yeah. how do you feel that has shaped your relationship with your son? The way, you know, you are as his mother and he's, yeah, if it has, if you feel like it yeah, has shaped it no, or changed think, it, or I think it has. I actually think it's actually shifted. I think it's helped to shift all our relationships in our family because of that, um, and, and because I think part of it is that ability to. Um, so we we are quite, like we're very close, and we share a lot together. I think he, um, you know, he loves the fact that I'm really active as an ally and and you know share stories and and try and kind of you know beat the drum of inclusion and how important it is and that sort of stuff so I think him seeing me um embrace this and want to do something different has actually strengthened the way in which we interact together and and I would say too I mean again this comes down to even if someone else has a transgender son their experience could be different to mine I look at him and he has taught me so much so our relationship strengthened because it's not a I'm your parent and you're my child and you know that's it, it's a different dynamic now and of course obviously he's now well, he's about to turn 20 and it's, it, it's very much where you know it's a different conversation now as well but I just I have never seen someone who is so um so determined to just be who he is and accept who he is and he has more sense of balance and acceptance than so many adults that I see. Um, and so that's extraordinary as well. And, and um, yeah, I, I can't, I'm sort of grambling around. But, yes, definitely we, we shape, we have, um, I, I am better. I am better as a human being and I am better as, I was better as a leader, but most importantly I am better as a human being because of, being a parent of, of both of my children and the experiences mm. that I have had with both of those children and the ability to um, reflect with them because I think that's part of I think what I've learned along the way as well is helping them to learn to reflect and have insight so that how they, do you do that how what's what's yeah how do you how do you create how do you um because I was um I was reflecting on, you know, parents listening to this and going potentially through their own growth pains. There's a personal reflection there around who you are and, you know, leaning into becoming. Um, but there's also maybe a practical dimension to this. How, you know, yeah, how do you create reflection or how do you show up as a parent? What what are some things that you've learned that are, you know, maybe you do more consciously now um, in a way or... Yeah, it's, and I'm just, and so I kind of, you know, look up to the sky and think, oh, mm. but interesting, you know, my kids go and listen to this and they go, oh, mum, look, you could have said this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this would be a really good question for them, actually, then, uh, for your son and daughter. But I think it's the, um, I, I mean, I'll just use use one example, if you like, and it, and it's just the, um, and it is with my, my son rather than my daughter, but watching um, how his moods would change. And he is a musician. He's a, a very talented musician. I could see how music moves him. Oh, music can move everyone, but how much music was a tonic for him, a significant sort of tonic for him. Um, and so we'd have conversations now and again where I'd see him get into a certain space where actually having a conversation with him wasn't going to be really useful because he was, you know, would be angry, upset, annoyed, frustrated, whatever about what was going on. And that ability to get him curious about um, not to sit there and go, let's diagnose what are you really feeling and why is it that you're feeling that way, um, but helping him recognise that he was feeling in a way that actually wasn't useful to interact with me at that point in time and being able to go, Where, what do you reckon you need to do? Um, and you reckon maybe you need to go and pick up your guitar. And 
he's like, you're right, that's what I need to do. And so he'd go disappear, go and play his guitar for a bit, lose himself in music, and then come back half an hour later. And we'd have a far more sensible conversation after that. Um, I mean, so that's just kind of, you know, one example of it, but it's that that's kind of helping. And so he, what I saw him do over time is actually before it got to that point, he's flagging to go, I just need to go and disappear into my music. And, in fact, um, my daughter does the same thing. She doesn't pick up the guitar, but she has playlists and creates these playlists of music for different moods and different ways which she's feeling, and she recognises that space where she goes, I need to withdraw, I need to be in my own space, and I need to process this before I come back into a broader conversation. Mm-hmm. So, Jen, I, I'd love to take us just for a moment into, because you did touch on the leadership um, but I'd love to just spend one more moment exploring that, how 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 you've changed, because you said you've changed as a leader and the the inclusiveness and being truly able to see and, and be curious and surface the stories that are maybe never told otherwise because they're not seen or acknowledged that I know is a big part of it. Is there something else that you feel this has brought to you um, as a leader or it's changed the way you understand this role or, or practice this role or value yeah, I, what you value in it perhaps as well as in my role as a leader as a leader yeah look I think I think the thing that it, it has taught me more than anything else it, because as a parent the the reaction of how the hell is he going to navigate this world and what's it going to be like and and this kind of drive for me to go, I want my son in whatever organisation he works with in any part of his life, I want him to be seen as who he is and the capability that he has to contribute. It's kind of then been a real driver, I think, for me as a leader that I am I'm more inclined now to, to get into that space of, how do I make sure that I really do see people? How do I actually really understand what's going on for them? And how do I help my leaders? Because I have teams of teams to go, how do I help my team, lead, my leaders to go, I, this is what you need to do with your own teams. You, you need, people need to be seen. You need to feel seen in order to bring out their best. And, um, you know, so I'm more likely then also to to challenge when, there are assumptions made by others about whether someone's capable or not of a certain job and, you know, what's going on and, you know, they're not performing well and, and that ability to come back to going, what's going on? That what What's the system doing that's contributing to that person not performing? Because no one rocks up at work to not perform. And so have we, you know, have we made the wrong decision in the role that we've given them? Have we made the wrong decision because we haven't given them the clarity that we need? Have we made the wrong decision because they process things differently to us and it's harder and it, and it might be a bit more frustrating, but, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong and it doesn't mean that it's bad. Um, so I think that, that the sense of protectiveness as a parent has then come into this thing going, oh, my God, without us realising it, our systems can mean that we do not get the best from people. Um, and it's part, you know, it's part of why I actually um, wrote the book on, um, you know, Mentally at Work was, was also around this thing about helping leaders to go connection, connection matters, connection matters for performance. And, and I think that that experience as a parent is just that fear has amplified my understanding already that it was important to go, oh, it's, it's so more important. Mm. Yeah, and and I loved how you. I think that the book was um, the book for me was I I read it as almost um, a map for creating mm. workplaces where people can actually thrive uh, by being who they are rather than you know trying to be someone else. Mm. Mm. Um, and I was curious as you grow, you you go forward on your journey and and you keep on learning and and your kids are no longer kids, they're grown ups um now. Well, what are you most you know what what lights you up? What do you feel is next for you? What are you excited about building um bringing oh. out into the world? Um, well, look, you know, I mean I, I, so many things. I, I can do so many things, you know, Elsa. <laughs> 
mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I'm excited. Um, what am I excited about in bringing to the world? I think that I want, I mean, I want to continue with that passion from a mental health perspective, you know, that my kind of drive that says I want to contribute to reversing the trend on mental Ill, illness in the Western world and the developed world. Like that's kind of a, that's what actually gets me up in bed every day is saying we, we have such a complex world that we live in and we are seeing so much of, um, you know, this polarising views of things and on both extremes and people being so filled with hatred and anger and, and trying to spread fear. And we're at this really challenging point in time from a, an entire community across the globe on how do we actually take a, deep, a big collective deep breath and recognise the fear, recognise the discomfort and lean into how do we actually collectively be curious to try and solve some of these problems that are facing us as, you know, across the globe. So I think that's uh, that's sort of, you know, that's a pretty big kind of view piece, but that's kind of what I'm excited about it going, there's so much, yeah. there's so much potential in humans. Um, we just have to enable curiosity to sit with the fear um, and believe in, believe in this importance of connection to help us move forward. As, as a human race i'm smiling here because <laughs> i think that's that's the core of what we bond over um yeah because yeah i i'm very much of the same mind and i have this um constant thought that um we need to remind ourselves that we're not done growing up and i i do believe that a lot of the the things that are really we're struggling with mentally have to do with the fact that um we don't know what to do with our growth pains and how to to turn them into real growth and then um yeah collectively collectively and, and i um, think that and so we don't have it? holding spaces to support people to go and and really because you can't do it alone we can't do it alone i think that like we we are not we're not meant to be alone as individuals and we can't do our growth alone like it that just doesn't it's um you know was it that takes a village to raise a child or takes a it takes a community to raise a leader i don't know what what it is there and but you know we can't um mm. we can't do like like with parenting as well you yeah, parenting groups and stuff but that ability to find other people who can you know put, just put that right question to you at the right time that can give you a bit more discomfort but going that's that's what i need right now to move me forward yeah Ah, I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm filled with um, with gratitude and with lots of questions too. I wonder as we grow closer to the end of this uh, conversation, what, is there something we haven't talked about or something that you feel you'd love maybe parents to know or share, not to know as something that you know, maybe have certainty over, because I know you, you always say you're, you're growing, you're, you're in on the journey yourself. Um, I think um, parenting is parenting's not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> um, and I just think of, um, so I mean, I go back to, uh, in fact, I won't remember the statistics off the top of my head, but the, um, the rates of suicide and mental illness for the trans population are horrific. And when you go back to saying what are the, some of the, what's the fundamental contribution that um, results in those sorts of, of outcomes and it's actually about lack of love and acceptance from core family so they can have all sorts of other supports but if family do not accept and love them for who they are then that results it, it just is dreadful from there where it goes to and I think no matter what it, I think the key thing I'd reflect on as a parent is going parenting is hard your children may not always be easy to love because of whatever else is going on for them but love has to be at that core of everything and that even in the midst of the hardship and going, I don't know what to do and I find they're frustrating and or I'm scared or I'm angry or I'm hurt as an adult because of what's going on, above all else, start with love for your child and just take a deep breath and get curious. Yeah. I, I don't even know what to, I, there's nothing more to say beyond that. <laughs> there's just one thought that comes to mind is 
choosing love even when it means letting go of an identity that we had that we cared yes. very deeply about and we were very attached to yes um, yeah and choosing and, and that identity even if it's with you know, people talk, talk about what 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 will I be judged on? You know, that often that discomfort is because I'll go, well, other people will judge me, you know, but whether it's my own parents or friends or whatever else you go, let go of that. Your primary thing is love your child even though you're sitting in fear yourself about your own identity. It's worth the journey. You're a gift to the world, Genevieve. Oh, so are you, Alice. I'm very grateful for you <laughs> and for your wisdom and for you making time for this conversation. Um, it's been lovely. And, um, I'm, I'm really hoping. Yeah, you go. No, well, I was going to say, hopefully, other, I mean, because as you know, you and I could chat for ages and we do anytime we kind of connect, but I'm hoping that listeners can, um, to, hopefully it's a useful reflection for others to to hear some of those stories and, and think about their own journeys as parents and, how their kids can help them be better human beings that is my highest hope thank you jen thanks Al. i hope you've enjoyed and been inspired by this conversation at least as much as i have um, listening to genevieve's journey as a parent and reflecting on how my own identity as a mother, as a person, as a woman has been challenged and transformed multiple times already in the eight years that I have been a mother and almost projecting forward into the future and expecting that shift in identity to happen over and over again. That has been something that I took away from this conversation and it got me reflecting quite a bit after it finished. I'm curious what your experience is, how you feel that your children's life choices or uniqueness in the way they come into this world, which might be very different from what you might have imagined when you were expecting them to arrive, how that has shaped you, how your children have helped raise you. I'm very curious to hear your reflections and your comments in the comment section um, and you will find resources around Genevieve's work, a link to her book in the podcast resources. Thank you for listening and until we meet next time, stay awake, stay conscious and stay wise.